it's not about us. It's always about the client. Um, when it comes to starting your business or when it comes to how you take your business to the next level, it's about how are you delivering on a need and a demand that's out there? How are you helping other people to solve their problems? So it's when we got there and played in that headspace with them and showed that we were invested long-term, that's when we started seeing just compounding opportunities. Welcome to CEO School. We're your hosts, Sanira Madani and Shannon Monson, and we believe that you deserve to have it all. Less than 2% of female founders ever break 1 million in revenue, and we're on a mission to change that. Each week, you'll learn from incredible mentors who have made it to the 2% Club, as well as women well on their way, sharing how they've defied the odds so that you can do it too. You're a real business now. Class is officially in session. This episode is sponsored by The Club, a quarterly box and digital monthly community to help you level up in leadership and life. Learn more today at join.theceoschool.co slash the club. Hi, everyone. This is Sanira here. I am so excited for today's episode because I have one of my dear friends on today, and her name is Elise, Elise Quinn, and she's from Orlando, Florida. And I can't wait to tell you about her entrepreneurial journey. Um, I met Elise early days of when I first launched Fat Merchant. This is six years ago. We met at a networking event and um, a bunch of people just kind of put us together and they're like, oh, you two are just super bright, energetic young women launching businesses in Orlando and you should know each other. And so Elise and I met up and got to know each other and our friendship formed over the last six years. And since then, both of our businesses have just grown tremendously. And Elise runs one of the largest agencies, creative agencies in Orlando today. It's called Big Vision. And I'm going to let her share her entrepreneurial journey and how she joined the 2% Club um, a couple years ago. So Elise, thanks so much for being here today. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you, Sunera. I love what you've put together here. And I think there's such a huge need for women to come around each other and to bolster each other up for the best success that they can find, especially as female entrepreneurs. It's a small niche of us and we've got to stick together. We really do. And and that's, that's just like part of this way. I can't wait to get into how we met too and how like we've literally stayed in touch. Even though we have completely different businesses, Elise and I still get together um, every, you know, once a quarter, it's not even that often, but it's just a check-in. We'll do lunch together and we'll talk about best practices of what's happening with our team members, employee growth, challenges that we're having. And it is so important to find like your good group of entrepreneurial girlfriends, uh, because nobody else gets it. Like nobody gets it. You need your lady tribe, especially of other women entrepreneurs, whether you want to be an entrepreneur one day or you already are. It's like a therapy session when Sanera and I get together because you understand so many things that are happening that just the average person would not be going through. And you can come alongside each other, push each other, hold each other accountable. Uh, And I think it's in seeing the highs and the lows and being real and raw. It's how we both grow. So I've loved that. Absolutely. Elise, let's get started. If you can kind of tell our audience a little bit about you and Big Vision to start, and then I want to, I want to go all the way back. Uh, I want, you know, I want you to talk about your childhood, how you, you know, how you grew up uh, and what led you down starting this company. So tell us about yourself, Elise. Awesome. So I'm Elise Quinn. Um, I'm one of the co-founders of Big Vision. 
Uh, I also own the Balcony Orlando. Uh, so breaking it down, um, Big Vision, we're a brand solutions firm. So we work with a lot of businesses who have very ambitious growth goals, and we help them to deliver very future-focused brand solutions. So we'll support everything that they need for their branding end-to-end, from the strategy all the way to the amplification of their business at scale. Um, so we're usually at the intersection of business strategy, branding, marketing, technology, and that's where we bring everything together to make a really meaningful impact for our clients. Um, we also own an event venue space in downtown Orlando, right in the heart of the city. Uh, it's an open air venue space. It's 11 floors up in the air, and uh, it's about 15,000 square feet of outdoor rooftop and then about 7,000 square feet of indoor loft. So we have recently purchased both Big Vision's space where we operate as well as the Balcony Orlando. So add real estate investors and owners to the list of entrepreneurship. So we're loving it. We're working on our third business right now, uh, trying to get off of the ground in the next year. It's a software company and uh, just really excited to keep growing and scaling all these companies. Right. It's, it is crazy. You literally are operating already two massive companies in Orlando um, and you have so many huge clients for Big Vision, like your team. Can you talk a little bit about just like the size of your company and your team? Because I know all of the women out here want to know. Yeah, ladies, I've got about 20s, uh, low 20s of us in the Big Vision side and we're hiring right now. Um, and then I have uh, about three full timers and an army of about 10 part timers on the Balcony Orlando side. Um, but I would say that your people are going to be your biggest asset. So there is nothing better than being able to create jobs where there were none before, and then being able to sustain those jobs, feed those mouths, and ultimately level up everybody around you to be the best people that they can be. We always tell our uh, current and future employees, like, we want you to come here to do the best work of your life. So if you're hungry, and if you're aggressive, and you've got a fire in your belly, that's the type of people that we want to bring around us. I love it. I love it. We, um, Elise's companies are always winning like best places to work and so many culture awards. And we'll chat about that, uh, here shortly. Elise, take me back. So how did you get started in entrepreneurship? Were you always, did you always know that you were going to be an entrepreneur? Um, and how did, like, how did you end up starting your first company? I always had a burn and a desire to be an entrepreneur since I was a kid. Um, I had a very unique upbringing. My dad was an entrepreneur, but he actually owned nightclubs. Um, so it was a business that I didn't get to see all the inner workings of, but um, I was surprisingly more engaged than probably the average child should be in the nightclub business at a very young age. Uh, so he'd teach me how to count money. He would show me how to make deposits. Um, he would you know, take me around the bar and show me where they make their money, what things are most profitable. Um, I'd talk to his employees usually after hours. How old were you? We were just working at a bar as a child. <laughs> What am I imagining? At least a child right now working behind the bar. <laughs> uh, my dad did it for 20 years. So my entire childhood was in and around a uh, nightclub. So it was not uncommon for my sister and I to be rollerblading around with disco lights going and our favorite music playing by cassette to show my age. But um, I loved getting to experience entrepreneurship. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. Most of my family were not business owners, um, but I wanted to always pursue business. And I wanted to, I was born and raised in New Orleans in a really small, like, if you know the show Swamp People, those are my people. They're literally right, it was filmed right across the bridge from where I grew up. Um, so there weren't a lot of opportunities. Um, and there weren't a lot of people who were trying to start and build their own enterprises. So my goal was to move and progress my life forward 
and get myself in a better situation where I knew I'd have more opportunity to truly be an entrepreneur. But I was the little nerd who was reading Entrepreneur for Dummies in my bedroom for fun and like highlighting and taking notes of what I would be doing on my business one day. So how did you even like, that's so crazy. Like you're literally living in Louisiana. There's, you're not around entrepreneur or you're around your dad. So your dad is an entrepreneur. So you have that exposure. Um, but you know, that was it. <laughs> how, like, how did you end up being like, yeah, I'm going to go find books on entrepreneurship. And like, this is what I wanted to do. Cause you weren't around that. Um, I think when you see that, that what makes the world go round, what makes economies go round to small business, you start to realize, like, I remember driving down the street and looking at every single business that I would pass and thinking, there's somebody who owns this. There's somebody who thought of that idea, who saw a demand and a need. There's somebody who created a business where they are now employing a whole office full of people and they're making an impact in the world. They have a huge ripple effect and small business is what drives our entire economy. So um, I think I was always curious and uh, engaged. So I just took every opportunity I could to try to learn under folks. Um, I did take our daughters to work day as a kid. So my uncle was the only person that probably had a legitimate enough job that I could go and uh, join him. And he was an environmental attorney in New Orleans. I got to just sit there with him and meet court reporters and judges and other attorneys. I brought my little Crayola briefcase and I would just we would write newspaper articles that we'd submit to say what it was like doing take our daughters to work day. And he just gave me an opportunity to sit at my first computer to uh, see what uh, uh, an actual like report looked like an invoice looked like. Um, And so from there, I just kept trying to take every opportunity that I could. My mom um, remarried to uh, my stepfather who owned his own general contracting company later in my teens. So at about I was probably starting at 12 all the way to like 16. I would do his invoices and estimates. And so he'd write it out for me and I'd type it up for him and I'd print it out and he'd send it to his customers. So anything I could do to get my hands in and around business, I was just. So you knew it, you knew it from an early age and you just like fully immersed yourself. I know that we know we were chatting a couple days ago before this interview. And like, I swear I wanted to give you the biggest hug when you were telling me about your uncle and you're like, this was the first time I was exposed to like a, you know, being in a skyscraper. And you kind of took me back to that moment where you were like, I walked in and I wanted, um, you're like, I wanted to, to be in a skyscraper one day. And we're, and I was like, Elise, you're literally talking to me. We're on zoom. And I'm like, you're in the biggest skyscraper in Orlando now, um, with your beautiful view of other skyscrapers. What was next for you? So did you go, where did, what did you, did you study entrepreneurship in school? I got my undergrad in integrated communications. Um, I knew that that was always going to be my passion, um, is the specific skill and art of communications. And I got my master's degree in business. Uh, I wanted to focus in entrepreneurship, but this one was more of a general MBA. And that was when I felt especially charged and challenged on the finance side. I don't know if every woman feels this way, but I know as a woman, uh, especially, I felt like finance was not something that was my strong suit as much as I admired and wanted to pursue business. I knew I had to overcome and get past that hurdle um, because you can just stay in your comfort zone on the communication side. And I never would have been able to actually build my own business because you have to have the financial savvy to do it. And I'm sure you feel the same way. I definitely do. I actually went to school for finance and it was um, not my journey is very different. I did not expect to go to business school and ended up getting my degree in finance, but it, it, it is a barrier for so many women. Um, and it's, it's scary. Like that just talking about, you know, it's not just about general numbers and sense, but it's so important for us to understand strategically how to operate our businesses 
being, you know, and having the financial readiness to be able to do it. And there's not a lot of support there. And it almost was like, this is what guys do. And this is what girls do. Um, even in college, like I was more excited about my marketing courses than I was about my finance courses. Do you go to school for communications and then what, right? So did you knew that, how did you start a marketing agency? Um, just right. Was it right out of school? Uh, no, I got about five internships throughout undergrad and grad school. And uh, one of the first portfolio reviews, because I thought I wanted to be a designer. Um, one of the first portfolio reviews that I sat in on, um, I was in a room full of creative directors and they were giving me good feedback, but I could tell like I was not making the cut as a designer. And there was in the, the coolest way, God is so amazing. There was one person there who was not a creative director. She was an account manager and uh, she sat down with me and she's like, oh, sweetheart, you are adorable. You are an account manager. Let me show you my world because she could see my exuberance for the craft of communications and design but I was not meant to be a designer. I knew it. She knew it. And she's like, but you want to lead the design. You want to spearhead the client relationship. You want to facilitate everything that goes on from that design perspective and bring it back to the client at the end of the day. And I was like, yes, yes, that's exactly what I want. I didn't know that existed. So she took me under her wing for two years, let me intern underneath her. And then that led me to get internships at Saatchi and Saatchi in New York City. Um, It led me to get um, opportunities at other like large agencies. And it led me to my first job in the agency world. Um, but all in all, like I knew I wanted to start my own business. I just wanted to learn under somebody else's dime. And I always recommend that to other women. Like if you know, you want to start your own company, learn under other entrepreneurs first, because you can get a lot of the mistakes out of the way you can learn from their mistakes and you can grow that way. And also if you have opportunities, start at bigger brands first. Because you can always work your way back down to start your own company. But the larger you start, you can always leverage that those big names, those big brands that you've worked with to spearhead and spur even more success and credibility for yourself. Would you agree? I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that. It's so true. I think sometimes we feel like we have to go through it ourselves. Like we have to go through it ourselves for, for us to you know be, it's part of the journey and it's not. I think the more that we can leverage um, other people's, um, mistakes, learning from other people's successes. This is exactly like personal development and self-development is so huge, um, to ensure that we are constantly growing and learning in whatever capacity. You don't even have to be an entrepreneur to, um, continually self-develop and grow and learn even within your field or, um, you know, even within your job set, but it's having that growth mindset to say, I want to learn and I'm going to learn from other people and raising your hand, asking for help. And I think sometimes as women, we're afraid of even just asking because we think that people aren't going to want to help. It is so true. And I always tell, especially students, like you are so cute and cuddly right now maximize on the opportunity that you have to just ask everything, ask questions, ask for opportunities because people want to give and serve. And it's the same thing when I see somebody who wants to be an entrepreneur. When I meet a female who says, I want to start my own business and she means it, I'm like, girl, tell me what you need. I'm right here beside you. We will work on it together. Let's bounce ideas off of each other. I will be your resource because you want to find people who are aggressive who are hustling, who are ambitious, and you want to latch on and and give them as much support as you can. So ask for the mentorship, ask the questions, be a sponge for the best practices that would have either helped them to other entrepreneurs to not go through some of the hard times or that have helped the entrepreneurs to break through and and hit some of those major milestones. Oh, absolutely. So 
you know, you're learning from other entrepreneurs. You've had every internship possible under the sun. Um, and you're like, I can go do this on my own. What was that defining moment for you to say, I'm going to launch Big Vision? And what was the why behind it? After working for so many other agencies that it felt like such an impersonal relationship between their business as the agency and the client at the end of the day and what the client's results were, who the client was trying to serve. It was like, there felt like a chasm between them. And it felt like there was just a whole lot of change orders and invoices that were being sent in between that chasm. Um, but there wasn't a real care concern. It was just transactions happening. Um, I got fed up with it. A lot of my clients got fed up with it. And for my clients and I, we kind of felt like we were each other's only saving grace, but they felt like they were getting kind of churned and burned. And I've heard that not just across agencies that I've been part of, but other agency experiences that companies have had. And I just wanted to like stop that because we, we are here to look out for each other and we are here to invest in each other's success. And even if you just look at the plain economics of it, it's only when you invest in the success of your clients that you're going to succeed. All ships rise together. So um, I got really tired of, of the transactional relationships and ones that weren't being uh, pursued and maintained with the highest integrity uh, and not even with the highest excellence of the final work product for what was being paid for. Um, so I just said, you know, I want to start something where over delivery is our standard that the best experience that we could possibly provide for the client is what we should strive to attain. It's about the relationship for the long term, And it's about looking out for what's in their best interests of their company, their people, and the people that they serve. Um, because we're all, I hope, not just doing this for profits. We're doing this for a deeper purpose. And if we don't have one, I'll help my clients define what that is. Um, so it was always with the focus of how can I think bigger for myself and how can I challenge my clients to think bigger for themselves? And that ripple effect just plays out over their entire supply chain as well. I have goosebumps right now. Hence, big vision. <laughs> the name was by our clients, not by us. I'll be honest. That was not uh, something we set out to name ourselves. That was something our clients always told us that they felt about us. That's amazing. I love everything you said about um, your why and that customer, ex like that customer experience was everything for you. That's similar to why I founded Fat Merchant. I had a deep, I was so fed up with the way that my customers were treated and I couldn't do anything about it. Like I was stuck in this hamster wheel of the same processes, same cycles, and no one was doing anything because that's just the status quo. Like that's exactly how it'd been done for 20 years. So why would anybody do anything different? And you know, having that, like that passion right there of like, I want to change it because it's the right thing. And I feel it in my bones. And I, and I could, I could hear it in your, in your voice of when you talk about, um, that you're like, I was so just fed up. And I think this is where, um, great companies are born is you're really trying to solve a problem. You're not just, it's not. And when you talked about, it's not just about the dollar, Ladies, this is, this is what is probably my biggest piece of advice I give every entrepreneur is they need to know their why, right? You have to know why you're showing up every single day. And if money's on the top of the list, you're not going to be successful. Money should be a motivating factor. It's, there's, nothing, there's nothing wrong with being ashamed about having money as a motivating factor, but it shouldn't be your number one and it shouldn't be your number two. It should be part of your, of your list, but you need to, your, your, passion for your why needs to go beyond that. And so for 
Elise, you are just, you are set out. So you're just like, I'm so sick of this. I'm going to go start my own agency. I have all of this experience now that I've collected from all these incredible agencies that I've worked for. It's so easy for us now to come back and be like, oh, okay, she just left and started this company. Talk to me about like the founding years of Big Vision and some of the struggles of, uh, did you think you were going to be successful from day one? Oh, it's terrified. Now you're leaving your cushy corporate job. You're leaving your uh, salary that you can always guarantee. And you're taking a huge leap that's going to put everything at stake, including your livelihood, your future. Um, and it's it's terrifying. Um, but you don't ever grow. You don't ever look back on anything in your life that was of significance without having taken some risks and without having stepped outside of your comfort zone. So I think you just have to push through that. Um, so I started the business. Um, my husband joined me just a few weeks later. Um, and we were terrified because we both left our corporate jobs to try and just go all in on this investment. Um, I'll tell you, we got an office from day one. Um, I'm glad we did because it legitimized us both in our minds and gave us the confidence to go out. And it also gave us an opportunity to hire quickly and have a place for people to go to work. Um, so it was a very tiny little nook. We called it the casino um, because you could not, there were no windows. You could not tell if it was day or night outside. Um, but we just hustled and stayed within the realm of what was feasible for us financially. But we saved up for years before starting up the business because I knew I wanted to bootstrap it. I didn't want to have to um, in, find investors. I didn't want to have to take out a loan. I just wanted to, it to be completely mine, um, all in. And we hired talent as quickly as we could. And we tried to find the best talent that we could find. So we stretched ourselves and we didn't pay ourselves um, for the first year, two years in business. Um, we took a, like a minimal salary the second year, but we just forego, forewent everything. And we lived off of our savings um, and we just reinvested everything that we made back into the business and back into bringing on the best people that we could find. Um, so that was the biggest uh, hurdles. And those are the, some of the biggest successes that I think made us. That's so incredible. I want to pause you there on talking about um, kind of those early years and those struggles, but you went ahead first. You're like, I need the best people. You know, when I sit here and analyze, you know, even this whole premise of the 2% club, I'm like, why the hell are there not more women founders that are breaking a million in revenue? Like, why is this so difficult? It shouldn't be that way. And then I go back and I'm like, you know, one of the biggest threats in common that I see with successful companies is they have incredible talent, right? That they're, it's not just a solopreneur shop. It's not just themselves. And I think we as women are so risk averse that we have fear of bringing on the responsibility of somebody else and limiting us there kind of limits where we're going to like what that next level for our company looks like. We mentor so many women who are in that six figure mark. And um, for Icon Method, which is our mastermind that we do, uh, Shannon and I. And so we have these incredible women that are part of this six-figure, they're, they're almost at six figures or they're at the six-figure mark. And then we take a look at operationally how they're operating. And it's so, so minimal from a, a team standpoint. And it's just the one person doing every single task. Talk to me about, you know, like, I think that that is one of the reasons why we don't make it to that next 
phase of the business. I also think it's important. So I don't want to you know, I think I'm going to shoot myself in the foot here. I also think it's important to bootstrap and to do it correctly. Like, I don't think that you still have to wear every hat as an entrepreneur. You didn't pay yourself for two years. You were working. I remember we were in that same building. Um, a lot of women, you know, who want the success, but they don't realize how much effort actually goes into being an entrepreneur. It feels like, I think Instagram and uh, we all show this like entrepreneur uh, lifestyle that I like to call, like, you know, it's just, it's, you know, you can be on the beach and then your business is operating. It exists to a certain point, but when you want to have mass scale and get to that next level, it requires a lot of effort. And I remember those hours. I remember you and Joe, we'd pass each other just like walking to, to go grab lunch or um, like we're just always in the office and you didn't pay yourselves. I didn't pay myself for the first three years of the company. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be everyone's journey, but you're investing to bring on the right people. You're investing to move the right things in your business so that you can invest those dollars back. It's not about not surviving or paying for yourself. Like it's really about if I have, if I have these extra dollars, I want to put it back into the business so that I can move the needle further. Talk to me about, so you started the company, it's you and Joe, you then hire on a few team, uh, team members. Success happened what feels like fairly quickly from an outside perspective. Talk to me about how you scaled from getting your clients to start trusting you to scaling it to that 1 million revenue uh, standpoint where now it's just, you're still working hard, but everybody knows your name. Great question. Yeah. So um, I think the sooner that you can bring on retainer clients uh, or MRR, um, if you can have that residual revenue coming in, then that's really where you start to see um, more growth uh, on a sustainable scale. Um, so that when we started getting in a lot of retainer work, um, that was a huge win for us. And that really helped to launch us. Um, when you start to take the early successes and you uh, build momentum from those into more successes, so you take a really great client. So for instance, um, within our first year, we brought on one of our first largest clients. They were a fitness brand. They were international, um, but they were just emerging in the US. Um, in a few short years, we helped them to get their US sales to supersede all their international sales combined through the marketing and the branding work that we were doing with them. Um, through that, we would go with them to their conferences and trade shows. We would um, join in with them on some of their strategic partnerships and alliances. We would meet other people within their sphere of influence. And then as we built those relationships, some of those folks were like starting up their own efforts and doing their own things. And they were like, we've got our eye on big vision. Like we want to come after and work with you guys as soon as we're like, as soon as we're able. And sure enough, as they watched us just year in, year out, day after day to over deliver, um, they said like, it's okay, it's my time now. So it might've been two weeks or it could have been two years from that point when they met us. But a lot of people came back and said, I want you to do what you did for them for me. So that word of mouth is, is king. Treat all your relationships like gold. Um, I always believe that we're standing on a diamond mind at any given time and that you have just amazing things that you just haven't harvested yet. And you've got to keep digging. You've got to keep pulling them out. And sometimes they don't look pretty. Like sometimes if you see what a diamond looks like in the rough, it's got the name for a reason. It is not beautiful. But if you start polishing it up and you start really investing in those relationships, showing them, giving them some free value, helping them to understand where you can fit within their growth plans. It's not about us. It's always about the client. Um, when it comes to starting your business or when it comes to how you 
take your business to the next level. It's about how are you delivering on a need and a demand that's out there? How are you helping other people to solve their problems? So it's when we got there and played in that headspace with them and showed that we were invested long-term, that's when we started seeing just compounding opportunities. So for you guys, I mean, this is, and this is for any business, right? This is applicable to every single business. It's treat your clients like they deserve to be treated, right? Like, and they're the ones, they are your diamonds. And I love what you talked about that, you know, you're always sitting on diamonds and it's just, you have to, you have to find it. And I do believe that even through all of this is happening during pandemic and so many businesses are maybe not making it through. I do think that there's so much opportunity on the other side and this is the time to be investing in the right things. This is the time to be double downing on your business and pivoting and finding strategies and digging deeper and continuing to polish and continuing to put in that effort because there is diamond everywhere. Um, and your success, and I love what you talked about was relationships, right? So then they started having great successes and then they're telling their friends that then become clients about your successes. And you still start bringing on more and more higher level clients that are happy to pay you your retainer services. And you've booked that revenue, right? So you've booked that revenue coming in once you bring on that client and it's a lifetime relationship with that client. It's not just a one-time transaction, So I would love to hear if you agree with this statement that I think relationships are the truest currency. It is not the dollars and cents that are being exchanged. It's the relationship that's being built. Because even if you look at Fat Merchant, which is your job is to move dollars around, like that is your whole business model. And yet still, it's only done because of the relationships that you guys went out and built and the ones that you sustained and the ones that you've been able to build on top of as a result of having managed those relationships well. And it's how you guys have maintained this and grown in such great success. I a hundred percent agree with you. We call it the best damn experience. That is a core value of our company. It's the best damn experience. And it really started first for our customers. So it was like, we really want to provide the best experience that we can because we never heard any customer ever say, I love my payments processor. Like we never heard that. They always had a shitty experience as to how the industry was. And we're like, we're going to change that. Then it evolved. We're like, okay, it's not just about our customers. It's about each other. Like we all want to build the best place to work. We want the best experience. And so we focused on ourselves and our culture. And then it was like, oh, it's not just about us. It's not just about internal and our customers. It's about our partners and our vendors and our community. And that best experience literally ended up becoming like the mission of our company of we just exist to provide the best experience. That's what we do. It has nothing to do with the fact that we actually do payment processing. We just exist to provide the best experience. And I think that that is so powerful. It is about relationships and it takes time putting effort. I mean, a lot of the ladies that are listening here have incredible online presence. Like they have incredible Instagram followings or incredible social networks. And even that is a relationship, right? Like the ones that are going to succeed, the people are going to give value. No one's sitting here asking first. We've heard this in every marketing book, every sales book, anyone that you've ever learned from, you have to provide value, 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 over deliver that value, then give them more value and then ask, right? And that is so key. And I think all the businesses that have that, that are providing value, um, are the ones that succeed and ask yourselves, right? Like, am I actually providing value to my clients today? And can I be doing more? 
Can I be doing more than that? And what else can I add to that? And how am I adding value? Not just in this one avenue that they've asked me for, what are the other peripherals that I can add value to? And you build on that relationship. And of course, they're going to keep coming back for more. That is so true. Can I add value? Can I do it all with the level of excellence that it deserves, that our clients and their clients and the whole ripple chain deserve? And can I do it in the highest integrity? Um, we had to say no to business that we really needed in some of our early years because it did not align with our values. And so it's not just the value that you're providing, it's the values that you're sticking to within your company. And I think that is so key. And I think you and I have both really focused on that in building the culture at both of our companies is that it has to be values-based and everything else flows from that. That's your that's your filter through which you make all your decisions. That's the way that we, before we speak a word, before we take an action, it's always got to be through that lens. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, for every, like everybody needs to have their why everybody needs to have their values. And when you say that you say no, like, even though you needed the business, talk to me about why, like you just are like, I'm going to say no, because this just doesn't fit. This does, doesn't align. Your no's make your yeses though, right? When you say no to something, you're able to then say yes to something else. Um, I, have tried to embrace, and I think as women, we can all really work on this, to embrace the word no. No is good. No is good to say it, and no is good to receive it. When I'm in business development, and one thing that I wanted to share with you guys is the importance of developing sales skills, because that's just invaluable. Yeah, let's go there. In business development, I celebrate no's because it's one step closer to being able to then provide them something that they can say yes to, or to move on to somebody who is ready to say yes. But Everything in business and everything in sales, it's a numbers game. And if you really treat business like a game and you treat it like numbers are not inherently a bad thing, money is not inherently a bad thing, and you start to see it for what it is, which are just the facts and the figures that can help you get to the goals that you have, then you can start to really amplify what strategies work best to get you to those goals. If your goal is the $1 million mark or if your goal is beyond. But I will tell you that sales cures everything. And sales is the lifeblood of the entire business. So if there's anything that as women entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs that you want to be working on right now, it is selling. And I always say, even if in this time, like right now we're filming this interview in the middle of COVID crisis, people who are losing their jobs, I'm telling women, everyone, you can always find a job in sales. If you can sell, you will never be out of a job. Um, so the biggest opportunity that I would say is that you have to be prepared as the female entrepreneur to be managing and running the business, to be selling the business, and then doing a little bit of working on the craft. So I try to always let women know, don't start the business because you love the craft. If you love that, that thing that you sell, that product or that service, you're not going to get as much time doing that thing as you would have liked. You're going to be managing the business more and you're going to be selling. And as long as you're okay with that and you get excited about that, then there's definitely room for you to want to pursue starting your own business. How do you get excited about that? And how do you learn? Because sales has this, even like there's those two things, right? When you talk about how we're going to get to the next level in our businesses, you have to have financial readiness and you have to have sales skills. Those are two things that we run from as women. How did you get over that hump and start selling? And why do we run from it? I think we run from it because we tell ourselves we can't. And because we tell ourselves it's this big, scary monster of a thing that we don't want to be associated with. You don't want to be associated with being salesy. Um, and at the end of the day, nobody is buying 
your sales pitch, they're buying you, they're buying what you are promising them, and they're buying the benefits that you're providing to them. So as you mentioned earlier, going back to the value and the service that you bring, that's what they're buying. And that's what you've got to bring to the forefront is what's the benefit that I can bring you to solve the problems that you're having right now. And all I have been able to frame sales as is helping other people. And that helped me tremendously because I can't sell, but I can serve. And I have my whole mantra in life has been to be a leader in service to others. And so if I reframe sales as what can I do to help you today? What do you need? And I'll be thrilled if it's something that falls outside of what Big Vision can do. And I'll be even more thrilled if it falls within something that Big Vision can do for you. But no matter what, I am here to serve you. And I'll do that in any and every capacity possible. And then the sales follow because they want it. I buy from you right now. Tell me what, what, how I can get started. And that's, that's, you know what it is, Elise? It's the feeling like that is what we're buying all day long. We like as women, we actually are the most empathetic and our, we, our EQ is 10 times higher than obviously our, our counterparts. Right. And sales is not, it's not this big, scary salesy thing. It really is a feeling. It is emotionally connecting with another human and saying, I'm here. I love what you said. I'm not here to sell. I'm here to serve. And all of, all of us, we have this incredible zones of genius that we know we can deliver some really incredible value, whether that be through our, um, whatever service that we're, we're selling or product that we have, it's because we pour our hearts and souls into it. We can stand behind it. We know it's good. We are perfectionist, right? That's another thing that stops us. We're perfectionist. We put everything into this product and service. And then we're so afraid because we put this barrier up that we can't ask, or we're going to come across as salesy, but it really is. It's serving. Like you've created something so amazing the other, we're all privileged to be able to receive that from someone that's that passionate about their services and products. That is so true. You mentioned EQ earlier. I think that's sometimes to our disadvantage that we are so in tune to ourselves emotionally, unlike our male counterparts sometimes are, that we second guess ourselves. We think we are not worthy. We can't do it. We, we see only our weaknesses and our flaws and the things that are outside of what we feel like we can do that we don't give ourselves the due diligence and the credibility and the permission to just go all out and to just hustle for it. One of the statistics that I've uh, just been shocked by is how men progress in business so much faster because they make the ask or because they say yes a lot more quickly than women will. And it's not because they are more qualified for it. In most cases, whether it's a job opportunity or whether it's starting a business, it's not because they're more qualified than women to do it. It's because the women don't take the initiative to say yes, to say, I'll figure it out. I'll try. The men, if you if they see here are the qualifications for me to start a business, they just say, all right, I don't meet half of those, but I'm still going to go for it anyway. Women, if we don't meet one of those and we're going to be extra critical about ourselves, we're going to say, oh no, we shouldn't do it. We're not ready. That is probably like the being, you'll never be ready. You will never be ready. There's always going to be something else that we're going to be able to perfect or make better. We have, the time is now. And I think that is one of the, I love that we talked about this. It's so important because I hear that all the time. We hear that all the time. People are like, I want to get started, but I'm not ready. This isn't perfect yet. I still have to do this. And we sit here and perfect our products. And then we bring it to market without even getting feedback. And then it may not work. So I'm not a parent, but Sunira, is this like motherhood where everybody tells me you're never going to be ready? Like just like mommyhood. And I know there's a lot of moms here 
Like you're never going to be ready. So you just have to never gonna be ready. entirety of seeing this life cycle through and you're not, it's a 24 seven job. You can't turn it off at five. You can't go to sleep. Like you it's your responsibility and you've got to foster and nurture that thing like a child. I'm not a mom. So you'll have to tell me if this is accurate. No, it, it is accurate. How do you find times so you run three businesses now you are always like, I feel like everywhere, every time I go anywhere, I see you at an event. I see you in the newspapers. I see you mentoring. I see you doing so much stuff for your church. How do you find the time to do it all? Um, I am a big proponent of not using the word work-life balance because I don't think it's one or the other. I think it has to be both. And so I rather use the the term work-life integration. And I think that puts a lot less stress on us as women to have to feel like you have to do everything in its own compartments, but it's so much better if you can do everything uh, in conjunction and in combination. So I love serving. So if I'm mentoring in adolescent youths in the juvenile detention center, or if I am working with junior achievement on helping kids to understand financial literacy and entrepreneurship, um, I am doing that while still also building business for big vision. So you get to serve and do whatever it is that you get passionate and, and excited about in your personal life, but you can also still tie in business to it as well. And um, I think you're missing out if you don't look for the opportunities to enjoy what you're doing. If I'm out at a networking event, just as much as I enjoy what I'm doing and I'm building fruits and, and sowing seeds at uh, a craft session that I'm doing or at a networking volunteering event. You can always turn, turn it into relationships, which can lead to business. I love that. I mean, work-life integration is definitely, I've taught many a topics on work-life integration because there really is no such thing. Every time you hear the word work-life balance, it doesn't exist. It really is integration. Elise, something that I'd love to ask is, What did you do when you hit that 1 million threshold as a business? Did you even know, like, what was that moment like? Did you even know you hit it? Did you celebrate? I've got the lamest answer. I didn't even pay attention to the fact that we hit the $1 million mark. We just kept hustling. Um, And honestly, I'm not upset about that answer. I'm happy to say that because when you are an entrepreneur, I don't think it's necessary, although it's nice when you can stop and smell the roses. I think it's more about keeping your eye focused on the bigger vision that you have for your business. And you're going to go all in and keep your head down until you see that through. Um, so the 12, 14 hour days, when somebody would hear me say that I work 12, 14 hours, they're like, oh my gosh, what a long day. I'm like, no, that's every day. That's been every day for the last six years. Like that's not, that's completely normal. Like that that hustle is what I've committed to, to see this through. And I won't do anything less than the highest level of, of excellence that I can provide to the client. So um, I would just say, just keep on hustling. I mean, it's great if you can stop and celebrate things. We stopped at the five year mark and we celebrated and we said, Hey, look how amazing this is. We just made five years, but we did not stop at the $1 million mark officially. What did you do for your $1 million mark? I didn't. And that's the state. That's so funny. It's like, there wasn't this moment that was like, Oh, here's what this was. We definitely celebrate at that merchant. So we do, we're always about celebrating big and small milestones. Um, we celebrate every time we bring on a customer, we ring a bell. So there's like, it's at different levels, but I definitely am someone that loves to celebrate. And I have, we have a culture of celebration. Uh, so I don't think we celebrated from the, the, 
the dollar standpoint, we definitely celebrated from a customer standpoint. So when we hit our thousandth customer, that was like definitely a big moment. I remember we do pop a lot of champagne. That's just part of our, of our journey, but um <laughs> It's funny. I love that answer. You kind of, you know, once you're there, you're not really thinking because your goals continually to move up. But I just wanted to say thank you for this incredible episode today. I could sit here and talk to you forever, like forever. This is exactly what our lunches sound like. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here and sharing your entrepreneurial journey with us. If you could leave us with last thoughts for our audience here about like looking back at you know, where you came from and how you grew up and now like sitting in the skyscraper with all this incredible success, what are your thoughts that you want to leave us with? Oh my goodness. There's so many, um, delay the gratification as an entrepreneur and be okay with that because you're going to see an output on the tail end far more than you'll see in the early years. So be okay with grinding it out early on. Um, Take responsibility. And I think as women, we're really good at that, but be willing to also delegate responsibility. And we're not as good at that part. You're going to make or break your business by the people that you're hiring. So always hire people who are smarter than you are. Um, If you imagine like the little Russian nesting dolls, if you keep opening those up and you go from inside of the smallest doll, imagine that each of us is hiring people. If we hire those who are smaller than us, uh, because we want to out ourselves and we want to be the best in the company, um, then we're never going to grow beyond what our capabilities are. And we're going to become a company of dwarfs. Um, but if we hire people who are bigger than us each time, then we can stand on the shoulders of those people and we can become a company of giants. Elise, thank you so much. This was such a wonderful opportunity to connect with you for our audience to learn so much from your experience. Where can we find you? You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, at Elise Quinn at Big Vision, or you can also find me by email, Elise, A-L-Y-S-E, at big.vision. That's awesome. Are you sure you want to share your email with our audience today? Where can we find Big Vision if we want to support you from a marketing standpoint for our companies? I know that Fat Merchant has uh, utilized Big Vision for so many different projects, and we're so thrilled with the work that you guys put. So where can we find Big Vision? Yeah. So if you look us up, we're on every uh, platform that you can imagine from a social media perspective, and you can look us up at big.vision. Thank you so much for being on the episode, and I hope you guys enjoyed the show. I'll see you guys next week on CEO School. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Follow us at CEO School on Instagram for show notes, inspiration, and exclusive behind the scenes that you won't find anywhere else. We also have an absolutely incredible resource for you. It's the seven lessons we learned building million dollar businesses. These are complete game changers and we want to give it to you absolutely free. All you have to do is leave a review of the podcast, why you love the show, screenshot the review, and email it to hello at ceoschoolpodcast.com and we'll send it your way.